Lamping here, PHRA's Executive Director. Welcome to P4, People, Purpose, Passion, Pittsburgh. P4 is brought to you by our members and sponsors, Latitude and the University of Pittsburgh Executive MBA Programs and Center for Executive Education. We appreciate their support and we will hear from them throughout the podcast, beginning with the University of Pittsburgh Executive MBA Programs and Center for Executive Education. Especially in times of uncertainty and challenge, America needs exceptional leaders to guide our healthcare institutions. The highly ranked executive MBA in healthcare at the Joseph M. Katz Graduate School of Business at the University of Pittsburgh is designed to empower and enable leaders to think critically, make informed decisions, and inspire confidence. Forge your path into healthcare innovation by visiting business.pit.edu slash EMBA healthcare. In this episode, Neil will provide insights on how to create mutually thriving organizations accounting for all the different faces of culture. Good morning, PHRA, and welcome to this next episode of P4. We're here with Neil to talk about a lot around people, organizational development, and how whenever we invest in our folks, they're actually going to invest in us. So goodness leads to more goodness. Neil, welcome to the show. Tell us about your your background and, and where you're coming from. Well, great. Thank you, Pete. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, So I guess this is the elevator pitch. Uh, I am an OD and leadership consultant. I've uh, recently retired from the corporate world, but I've been working in this space for more than 30 years. Um, I've had the good fortune to work both regionally and globally with leaders at uh, all levels uh, across a wide variety of industries. Uh, Where I focus today is on leadership, education, and coaching, and on organizational culture development. Um, I had to pick one thing that I'm particularly passionate about. It's about enabling organizations and their people to mutually thrive. And that means uh, keeping the needs of the organization and its people in a healthy balance. Um, When the organization is thriving, it has more resources and more opportunities for its people. Uh, When people are thriving, uh, they perform at their best and they're more likely to stay with the organization. So win-win. Very cool. Are you from Pittsburgh originally, Neil? I am a native Pittsburgher, although I went to college outside of Pittsburgh and any traces of a Pittsburgh accent have been, you know, eradicated by all of my friends in college who said, what's a gum band or what's pop? Yeah. Where was that? Uh, that Undergrad was at Penn State. Penn State. We are. There we go. And then uh, you said that you were working. I just recently retired. So congratulations. Where did that work journey take you? Uh, You know, it's been about 50-50 between working embedded in organizations and consulting to organizations. Um, I began my career at Development Dimensions International back in 1990. Uh, DDI, DDI, yeah, here in uh, the South Hills of Pittsburgh, where I'm from. And uh, then moved through a variety of organizations like FedEx, uh, most recently Westinghouse uh, Nuclear up in the North Hills, uh, where I had been leading uh, leadership and talent development globally. Okay. Awesome. And then when when did you uh, decide to to make the move? Was it pre-pandemic or post-pandemic? This you said, know, I'm, I'm out. You know, it was funny. Um, it was um, part of a uh, a restructuring, a uh, an offer that was made to non-operations U.S. management um, by Westinghouse. Uh, I had been looking at retirement and uh, potentially getting back into the consulting role. 
Uh, this kind of hastened that decision. It was a little sooner than I expected, um, but it was a great offer and it was a great launch pad um, for what I'm doing now, which I really love. Yeah. So let's dig into a little bit more of what, what's happening in the HR space. Obviously, you're consulting. You talked about leadership, education, coaching, and culture. Those are three big things that any leader of any size organization really, really cares about. But if we step back and think about what are the biggest trends in HR, what's on the top of mind for everybody um, that, that you're seeing right now? I, I don't know if I'd necessarily call it a trend, but I think it's something that impacts so much of the kinds of things that we're going to talk about, uh, and that's culture. Um, you know, we frequently talk about organizations becoming more respectful or inclusive or agile or innovative. Um, we can have all kinds of strategies, uh, both business strategies, people strategies. Um, it's that often spoken phrase from Peter Drucker, uh, who famously said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yep. Uh, in the same way, our cultural norms uh, can eat our cultural aspirations for breakfast. Um, you know, uh, I could give you an analogy. I don't know if you've driven a, a late model car recently. Um, if you happen to drift across the lines on the highway, you were probably alerted that that was happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. You get, you know, the, the, the beeping, the lights are flashing, or you get the steering wheel is shaking in your hand. Um, and organizational culture is like that. It renders feedback to ensure that you stay in your lane. So anytime we try to disrupt culture with big change initiatives, uh, whatever they are, uh, that's how culture operates because culture is self-reinforcing. Uh, it's so deeply embedded in our systems and structures, policies, procedures, rewards, uh, what have you. Uh, it, it takes a, an appreciation for that larger ecosystem to displace old cultural norms, replace them with new ones that help, again, organizations and their people to function even more effectively. There's a lot to unpack there. I'd like to go upstream a little bit, Neil, and just say, how do we measure culture? Is there a way for us to you know, you walk in the doors of an organization and, oh, yes. I, I see this and I see this and, okay, and, and how do we kind of measure it? How do we know if we're good or bad? Is there a way? You know, one of the things that I, I think of two things, and I'll use your um, description you made there. When you walk into the door of an organization, and I've seen this so many times, what do you see? So often you'll see posters and signs, you know, emblazoned with, this is our mission, our values, our vision, credo, guidelines, slogans, all of this uh, material that's meant to describe, this is who we are. This is the culture that we aspire to have. Um, sometimes that is more accurate. Uh, sometimes there's some space between what we aspire to be and what we actually are. I think you have to look really no further than an organization's business strategy to see what's really most important. I think the, the magic is working with your executive team to say, okay, we've got this business strategy and you've already described here how the business needs to thrive. Let's keep going with that conversation. What did people need to be focused on to ensure that they are continually supporting that strategy. 
I've found that that's a good way to engage your senior leadership in the conversation about values and uh, more of the people side of the equation. Mutually thriving, more, more about it. Okay. Absolutely. So in order for us to succeed and grow and put some of this into practice, we probably have to have a strong foundation. You know, we've talked before about trust and respect, and I'm, I'm going to guess that you preach about this, right? <laughs> and consult and talk to people and say, hey, you know, we got some some problems. You're not just going to sprinkle a little bit of culture juice on this, <laughs> you know, di dive a little bit deeper. So um, you know, talk to us a little bit about trust and respect and, and how do we actually build it, right? What actions can we take there? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who would deny that, uh, you know, trust and respect are important to the health of the organization. They, they really are the foundations of leadership. Um, I think really great leaders earn committed followers, you know, not just people who are compliant and, you know, who are, you know, engaged in this transactional relationship, I'll, I'll do what I need to do to earn the salary or whatever rewards, but instead leaders who encourage those really committed followers. Um, these are people who desire to give their very best energies and their creativity uh, to the work. Uh, and I think that leaders can earn that kind of commitment in at least two ways. Uh, first of all, they have got to set the example with their own behavior. I'm very much a, a behaviorist. Um, I remembered a, a hospital that I worked with, the new CEO uh, who had been the chief nursing officer and previously a nurse. Yeah. She had risen up through the organization. She shared a perspective with her leaders, which I found uh, really important. It stuck with me. She said, as a leader, you are always on stage. In other words, your people watch what you do. They take their cues from you. Um, it doesn't mean you need to be perfect. Nobody is. If you make a mistake, own it. Uh, but just remember that by your behaviors, again, this goes back to culture. As a leader, by your behaviors, you are setting the norms for what is and is not acceptable in the organization. And then secondly, quickly, I, I would just add that people who are trustworthy are committed to something greater than themselves. Uh, I'll give another example. I remember uh, a CEO, a COO uh, in one organization who took the time to publicly recognize uh, some of his VP, some of the members of his direct reporting team who actually disadvantaged themselves uh, in the previous year. Um, and he, he said something to the effect of, um, I know you could have earned X revenue for your division, uh, but instead you chose to put your resources behind Jane or Joe over here. And it actually, accomplished 10x of revenue for the larger organization. So while these people had disadvantaged themselves, they had much more greatly advantaged the organization. Uh, and he said, thank you for being uh, a team player. He called them, you know, good guys and good gals was his terminology. At whatever level of the organization, at the end of the day, uh, people can see who is in it for themselves uh, and who's willing to put those greater goals, those greater goals of the organization above their personal goals. Um, and people can tell who's authentic about that. Yeah, I think the authenticity shines through. And you might not see it in the first time or the second time or the third time, 
Um, also, I'm, I'm wondering if uh, those those folks end up getting a bonus, the, the good guys and the good gals, right, <laughs> to to uh, kind of slow down to invest uh, a little bit in the bigger picture. So that's it's it's powerful. It's it's very very powerful. One of the other pieces around you know trust and respect is the ability to show some vulnerability, yeah. right? Be like, hey, it's 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 not all okay. And what I've learned and a couple of others is around feedback. Right. So, hey, hey, Neil, do I, do I need to, you know, shift the, you know, the way I'm doing this? Are you open to a little bit of feedback? Talk to us a little bit about, you know, giving and receiving feedback, sort of what you've seen uh, over the years. Well, I think, Pete, you just did something that's, that's of primary importance. It's asking for the feedback. That's one of the marks of high performers. Uh, so well done on you. Um, you know, to your point, I, there's really nothing... I would say such as negative feedback. And that's kind of a, a phrase, oh, I got some negative feedback today. I don't think that was feedback at all. Uh, that's actually criticism. Uh, and that is meant to tear people down. Uh, when we talk about healthy feedback, it's really guided by a desire to build people up um, you know, when they've not performed expectations. And it's meant to give them the tools and the understanding that they need to make better choices in the future. Um, I actually am going to be doing a feedback and coaching program for a nonprofit client uh, in March and April. And uh, one of the things that's really true is that constructive feedback is intimidating. I've seen this with nuclear engineers, pediatric physicians, shop floor supervisors. Um, we're we're not always eager to share what might be first into, interpreted as bad news. Um, but if we adopt the mindset that this is an opportunity to build this person up and prepare them for that future success, um, then we can flip it and see it as something that's positive. And it's actually can be a really rewarding experience. Um, the other thing that I think inhibits people from giving that constructive feedback is this idea that if I'm going to go in there, I, I've got to have all the answers. I've got to have a fix and I've got to fix this person. Um, and I would go back to what you just did, Pete. You asked a question and it's a little bit more of a coaching approach, but it's asking the person, you know, I don't have to have all the answers, but it's asking them. Yeah, what happened in this, in this situation? Um, begin with a question. What were the circumstances? You know, tell me about the course of action you took. You know, looking back on it, would you have done something a little bit differently? This does a couple things. First of all, it maintains accountability where that accountability belongs with the person who's doing the work. It doesn't rob them of the ownership of their work. Uh, and to use an often used word, it empowers them uh, to come up with a solution. And you know, it's surprising how often they um, have something that is a better alternative already in mind. You know, when somebody's made a mistake or they haven't performed the standards, um, they're, they're going to be reflecting on that. They've been giving it some thought. Um, so I think you know, take some pressure off yourself uh, as a leader or a manager. Allow the person who's accountable for that work to retain that ownership. And come alongside them as a thinking partner, if you've ever heard the phrase. Um, that's much more easily received by people than uh, other approaches. I, I like that one. You mentioned accountability there and empowering others. 
and you, you talked about coaching. So I'm going to ask like a, a, a two-part question here to you. Um, can you talk about how we can drive and embrace accountability uh, with our, our and, and how we do it with our supervisor, our coach, and our mentor? And I might ask that like a, a pre-piece of that, like what, what in your eyes, Neil, what's the difference between a coach and a mentor and our boss? Yeah, you know, uh, a boss uh, is somebody who most basically is accountable for our performance. They're the okay. ones who are, you know, responsible for ensuring that as part of their team, that we are accomplishing the results that the team is responsible for. A coach is someone who comes alongside a person, as I described, um, to work with them in their situation uh, to help tease out um, increasingly high levels of performance. In my experience, a mentor is somebody who has gone down the path, has experienced the, the journey that you are now going through. So if I want to be mentored by someone who has become a leader in my particular organization, uh, whether it's uh, in this division or that division, uh, it's wonderful to get with somebody who's walked that path yeah. and, uh, you know, tell me how as the recipient, the mentee, what was that experience like? You know, kind of give me the map um, to help me see further down the road than I can see. You know, what are the things that I'm likely to encounter? Uh, what are the priorities? Um, you know, what should I know as I engage with different important people? in that journey. Uh, a coach um, doesn't even need to have that experience. They can be from, with outside, from outside the organization, but to help engage that person in thinking about their situation, sometimes telling, sometimes sharing some best practices, but the tools that are most important for the coach are to ask and listen and reflect back to the person um, what they are selling uh, or what they're saying and to help them, you know, think through the circumstances that they're trying to navigate. Okay. Well, I think it's an interesting one that we talk about sometimes, you know, your coach and mentor and boss might be all the same person, right? Hey, do you they want some be. coaching? Hey, do you want to go through this? You want some feedback? Hey, this is what I would have done. And it's like, whoa. And sometimes that's okay, right? Not always one size fits all. Um, something to think about, but I, I like that take of it. Um, Neil, you ready for the third part of the, the, the podcast where we go through some quick fire question answer session? All right, fire away, Pete. Let's do it. So uh, the, the, the first one's around professional development. If you were to give, uh, you know, kind of a tip, right, and say, hey, uh, the, the PHRA community, one tip around professional development, what would that be? Oh, gosh, a tip for professional development. I think it goes back to something that we talked about before. Uh, and this is actually something that I think that really distinguishes high performers yeah. uh, is ask for feedback. Asking for the feedback. Yeah. Uh, be open to that. Um, it's actually, it's been instrumental in my career, um, the feedback that I've received. Um, that's a big one. Um, another one is, is know people and get to be known by people. Uh, okay. So look for those opportunities for visibility in the organization. Um, you know, some other things uh, come prepared, uh, whenever you go to any professional situation, any meeting, show up having thought through the agenda, if one's been provided, 
Mm -hmm. um, spend a little bit of time, again, not coming up with fully fledged answers, but come with some ideas. Do a little bit of homework, not exhaustive, but do a little homework. And um, I think those three things will put you in uh, a good position. Set, set it up. Okay, so if you were to give a little bit of homework to any of the listeners on a book to read, something that you're reading or that you, hey, I'm always recommending this book, yeah. what would that be, Neil? All right, I'm going to hold the book up, Pete. Okay. Uh, this is, and this is Intrinsic Motivation at Work, um, What Really Drives Employee Engagement. This is by Kenneth Thomas, and this is probably um, a dozen years old. Um, it really is the, what I've found, the best academic research on what is it that people need in their day-to-day -day work from a practical sense to really bring their best uh, creativity and energy and intelligence, intelligence to the work. Um, real fast, they need a sense of purpose. Why am I doing this? How does it support greater goals? I need a sense of choice about how I do my work. Uh, you can call that autonomy, self-determination. I need to feel a sense of strength uh, that I am using skills and knowledge that I'm good at and that I want to use. I'm in my sweet spot to some good extent. I need to see a sense of progress, number four. And the fifth one is a sense of relatedness um, that I need to feel connection to the people I'm working with, most importantly, my boss. Um, the thing that I love about this book is that, again, Good solid academic research, but it overlays. There's a lot of um, like a Venn diagram. There's a lot of overlap with some other books that might be familiar, like uh, Daniel Pink's Drive, um, or uh, David Rock uses the Scarf model, um, and another one that's really popular is the Gallup uh, Q12 um, survey. So what I find over the years is that there there is this very common language, like layers over one another. This is the book that I think uh, does it well. If you want to understand what people need on a regular basis uh, to bring their best selves to work. Yeah, I, I get pretty excited whenever it comes to uh, employee connection and bringing people up in, in the workplace. So we'll have to chat about that a, a little bit more. Um, all right, so two, two final questions here, Neil. The sure. first one is you're, you're uh, you know, on, on, on the phone, uh, with your younger self, right? The Neil from uh, a <laughs> couple of decades ago. You say, hey, what's what's going on? And uh, what, what advice would you give the, the younger Neil? I'd say, listen, kid, you got a lot to learn. Um, be humble. Um, you know, the, the, the quick background on that. The best feedback I ever got was when I, it was about 20 years ago, became a director uh, and was still fairly new to the organization. And I must have said several times, boy, there's a number of things that could be fixed around here and I've got some great ideas. Well, one of my managers who reported to me, guy who'd been with the organization for decades and had come up through the ranks, wonderful guy, pulls me aside one day and he said to me, Neil, just because we haven't solved the problem doesn't mean we don't know it's there. Um, I got it. Um, he, he said that, you know, we operate on slim margins, we're always short on resources. Sometimes we're, you know, just improvising to try to keep the operation going. So the lesson there was when you see something that needs to be addressed, go talk to the people who are closest to it. So often I've found, Pete, that people say, yeah, we know about that. We have submitted X number of proposals. Uh, it never makes it into the budget. 
And what they, what they don't need is somebody to point out that there's a problem again, especially somebody in management from corporate. What they do need is somebody to come alongside them as an advocate to help them you know, raise visibility for the issue, maybe help them get some resources. So be humble, talk to the people on the front lines who are closest to the work and know it really, really well. We call that going to the Gemba whenever I was yes. doing uh, green belt and black belt work, right? Hey, yeah, go and see. The problems are, and then you get your MBA, right? Managed by walking around. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know where the W goes, but hey, the MBA, <laughs> MBA approach. All right, the last one's a new new question we added for, for season two, and it's a it's it's a tough one, okay? And the, the, the question here to wrap things up for today's episode of P4, Neil, is your favorite desk toy. So you oh, might wow. have something that's around your desk and you, you can kind of see if you can reach it. It goes with you. I used to have uh, a terrible towel that I'd take with me. That was my only piece of office furniture. I have a whole bunch of you know things over here now. If you don't have anything on your desk, it could be something that you've seen on somebody else's desk. What do you got? Oh, oh gosh. Aside from my coffee mug, which is uh, you know required essential, um, Gonna try and finish strong here. So I, I'm, I guess I'm way too practical, Pete. I don't have anything on my desk. Um, I, I think for me, it's a practice. Uh, okay. Get up, move around. And I think this became even more obvious during uh, COVID because like so many of us, I was working hybrid or exclusively remotely, which I do now. Whether I go out and go for a walk for two miles or just take two steps away from my desk, um, sometimes that's enough just to, you know, clear out the cobwebs, get a fresh perspective. Uh, for me, get up and move. Yeah, get up and move. I love it. Well, Neil, it's been a pleasure learning about your uh, experiences and journey through leadership, education, coaching, culture. Uh, in organizational development at, at so many levels from DDI, FedEx, Westinghouse, and now back in the consulting world. And some of my big takeaways uh, were that, you know, the, the goal of all this is to end with a result of mutually thriving organizations as we always look at the different faces of culture. And the leaders get there by setting an example and leading by example because they're always on stage, whether they like it or not, people are always looking. And the particular piece around uh, you know, feedback is guided to build people up. And as long as we continue to think that it's coming from a, a point of uh, you know, positivity and knowing that we want good to happen from here, then it all, all works out well. So thanks again, Neil, for your time today. Look forward to learning more. Gotta go check out the, the Kenneth Thomas book and uh, we'll see you at the next PHRA event. Pete, it's been a pleasure. Great synopsis. Thanks for the opportunity. People do matter. And at the end of the day, we cannot get any work done if we don't have the right people in place. Are your people connected? Latitude is the one-stop shop people connection software platform. Our software workshops and programming facilitate new employee onboarding, manager one-on-ones, stay interviews, mentorship programs, and peer networking to increase retention, engagement, satisfaction, productivity, profitability, and happiness. Imagine a technology that intersects your calendar with LinkedIn, Zoom, Google Docs, and your CRM. Contact Latitude today to schedule a conversation.
The PHRA P4 podcast was created to help build HR readers through discussions with thought and business leaders on the most critical success factor of any business, its people. If you enjoy an episode, please help us spread the word by subscribing to the podcast and providing us a rating. We would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode, tag PHRA, and share it with your followers. Until next time, thank you.